welcome to The Art of Medicine, the program that explores the arts, business, and clinical aspects of the practice of medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Wilner. Today, we're going to discuss a hot topic that you have probably heard about on the news and will soon see on a documentary film, The Invisible Extinction, The Race to Save Our Vanishing Microbes. What is the microbiome and why should you care? To answer these questions and more, I would like to welcome two filmmakers, Sarah Schenk and Stephen Lawrence. We're great to be here. Thanks for inviting us, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. But before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, locumstory.com. If you're considering locum tenens, either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two, or 20. Fortunately, locumstory.com has the answers you need. It's packed with unbiased information and advice from physicians like you. Locumstory.com has nothing to sell. It's simply a resource for information. You'll find super handy tools that let you see locums trends for your specialty. Compare different locums agencies, and there's even a quiz to help you decide if locums is right for you. Locumstory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about locums. And now, without further ado, let's get back to our program. Sarah and Steve, thanks so much for joining me. I want to learn everything about the microbiome and about your film. So let's start with Sarah. Sarah, tell us who you are and how you became interested in filming micro microbes. Yeah, filming micro or about microbes. Yeah. Well, I the first thing I have to say is I didn't know what a microbe was until I started making this film. I, I thought I did. I thought it was like a, and that was some kind of little sciencey biological thing. And um, for your listeners' pleasure, uh, a microbe is it's bacteria, so little tiny single-celled organisms, but it's also uh, fungi. I like the way you can pronounce it fungi or fungi. I kind of like fungi and our class of organisms called archaea and also viruses. And so, you know, COVID has now made the word, since COVID is a virus and it's that's a microbe, it's, you know, everybody, everybody is thinking about these things these days. So we appreciate your interest in the subject. And my personal involvement um, came about because I have two daughters whom I adore. And when they were very little, um, one of them had bad food allergies. And the other, when she came along, our pediatrician tested her. She said, you know, with one kid with food allergies, you better check the other one before you start doing solid foods. And we did test her and she had no food allergies and she ate everything, you know, gradually, you gradually introduce foods. And then she got strep a couple of times twice and we took everybody in the family got sick we all took antibiotics and about seven months after that um the, my younger daughter who had no allergies and it's we know because we tested her uh she ate a pecan cookie and she went into anaphylaxis and almost died and at the er they said well i said well what happened like i don't understand how we t we actually knew that she had no allergies and she ate everything what and they said, you know what? It's really kind of crazy, but we don't know. We don't understand why people develop food allergies. We don't have an explanation. 
And I was so alarmed at that we have no idea how this happened or how it could possibly be corrected that I went down the rabbit hole of Google. And it was, it, it, that, this is over 10 years ago now and was at the beginning of the Human Microbiome Project. And those results, like when they, they had just started to look at the healthy micro, microbes inside a diverse group of people. And so it was really the first time we've ever had that insight into what are the little organisms in our bodies. We always knew there were microbes everywhere in us and on us, but we didn't understand the quantities and the community nature of them. The researching why people develop food allergies brought me to the microbiome and that the latest research was showing that disrupting our internal ecosystem, disrupting our microbes is the most uh, persuasive hypothesis about why people can get and occasionally lose food allergies at any point in their lives. So when we're talking about the microbiome, we're talking about all those little creatures you mentioned, the bacteria, the fungi, the viruses that are living inside of us uh, as a normal phenomenon, right? That it's normal healthy. to have healthy. all these, a healthy person has all these little bugs, these microbes inside of us to uh, help us digest food and sort of a symbiotic uh, setup there. Is that, very, is that very right? Much a symbi you know, can I say one, I'm sorry, I'm in a really sciencey mood today. You used a word that I learned in junior high biology, symbiosis, which means I do something for you, you do something for me. We're having a symbiotic relationship on this podcast now. We're yes. providing content, you're promoting our film. So we have that idea and microbes can be, a, there was a new word that we learned as part of this film called amphibiosis. And that means there's microbes, these little organisms in our body, most concentrated in our guts. And they are most of the time can be good, but the same organism in different conditions or a different point in your life can have a negative effect. So I thought that was, an, for me, it was an interesting insight to think, here are these organisms, they're almost always beneficial and helpful to us. Like you said, they digest our food, they, they are, our immune, are they're our immune system, they pr produce vitamins for us. But there's times when those microbes can run amok. And the hypothesis in, that our film presents, it is really Marty Blazer's hypothesis. It's shared by many other scientists who have done work in the field is that one of the most powerful ways of disrupting our healthy ecosystem, our good microbes is um, misuse and overuse of antibiotics, which sometimes we need to take antibiotics because we're sick. We have a pathogen in our bodies, but whether or not we need the antibiotics, they always are going to carpet bomb the good bugs in our body as well as the pathogens. And that's something that we need to think carefully about. Like, do we really need to take that course of antibiotics? And maybe we do, and thank God for antibiotics. But if we just feel like we had a tickle in our throat or our kid has an ear infection, but it's just, it's not, it's been pretty mild. Those are instances where I, I think I would like to hear what you as a physician would say. Marty would say, you know, why not? Is there any reason to not ask your doctor? Why not wait a day or two before taking antibiotics? All right. Okay. I'm going to put a hold on that just, just for the moment and uh, find out where Steve fits in. Well, I fit in from the perspective of someone who took too many antibiotics. 
Um, so that's my my personal motivation for making this film is a wake up call about the importance of our gut microbes and our microbiome to our health. Um, my personal story, just to try and tell it pretty quickly, is back in the early 1990s, I picked up a couple of parasitic infections when I was making uh, films in Russia and Central Asia. And as you probably know, as an internist, that the treatment for parasite infections is usually antibiotics. And I was given multiple rounds because the symptoms kept coming back. So the assumption was I still had the infection. Uh, when in fact, what I was having, and I didn't know at the time, were symptoms of taking too many antibiotics and my gut uh, getting very badly inflamed um, and certain things developing from there. I developed an autoimmune disease, thyroiditis. I developed allergies that I'd never had before, food intolerances, IBS, mast cell activation, all these things just wham. It was, uh, it was a waterfall of problems that were very debilitating and distressing. Nobody knew what, what the microbiome was back in those days. So doctors were far less cautious than they are now about prescribing round after round of antibiotics. So uh, when the opportunity uh, came up to make this film, uh, Sarah had started to work on a film about the microbiome um, and had identified Marty Blazer and Gloria Dominguez Bayo as uh, central characters for it. It was it was too good for me to pass up because this is, well, of course it's a personal issue for me, but this problem of disruption of your gut microbes affects hundreds of millions of people around the world because antibiotics are used all over the place uh, and have been used uh, without sufficient caution for decades now, you know, for uh, close to 70 years. So that's that's how I came to the film. Uh, I'm not typically somebody who makes science documentaries. This is my first one. Uh, my my history is that I've made a lot of documentaries about artists and activists and people you might call everyday heroes, uh, people who are trying to make a difference in the world. And uh, and making a science film is a particular challenge, but an exciting one. And uh, our film is not your typical science documentary because it has a beautiful love story driving it between our scientists and I, I don't want to spoil it too much because we want people to to go and see the film but it's a very character driven film in the documentary world what we, we call a film character driven when the stories of the subjects in the film are driving it as much as the subject of the film itself oh well that is cool and uh, well, first of all, it's it's a terrific opportunity, I think, to make a film that affects every single human being on the planet because everybody has a microbiome, whether they know it or not. And uh, I think I think you're right. This is something that has not been in the the medical consciousness 
or at least not very high that we're going to give you the, I mean, we know for a long time, if you give people antibiotics too much, they can have diarrhea, for example. Well, why is that? It's because you're wiping out, you know, the, the colonies of bacteria that are supposed to be there. You're messing stuff up. And after a while, it usually fixes itself. Um, and then of course, this has led to this new concept that is, is not all that palatable, but uh, the idea that once you do damage the uh, microbiome with antibiotics, that you might be able to restore a normal microbiome. I don't know if this is in the movie or not, with a, a fecal transplant, which I say is not the most uh, palatable concept, but it turns out that it actually can uh, work uh, very, very well. So uh, congratulations to you guys, not just for having a cool idea, but for getting the film completed because it's, I, I don't know a lot about the filmmaking world. I've, I've made a couple short films. They actually won some uh, small awards, uh, all uh, creatures underwater. And, uh, but I know that, and I have some of the, my own, there are a lot of unfinished films out there and uh, incomplete documentaries. And to actually go from uh, concept to filming, you know, production and post-production and marketing and getting the film somewhere where somebody can actually see it is kind of a long haul and uh, requires uh, stamina and funding and uh, more stamina. So tell us, where can we see the film? Where can we see it? You, you do that, Steve. Uh, the film is available um, in, in the United States on Amazon, iTunes, uh, Google Play, uh, Vimeo On Demand. It's also available in Canada on Google Play. It's uh, in, in the UK on Amazon and, and, and uh, iTunes as well in uh, not only North America, but many countries around the world. So it's anyone can get it. That's the most important point. If you have internet access um, in most countries, you can watch The Invisible Extinction. So we, we hope people will find it and uh, watch it, share it, discuss it with their friends and families. There, there are a lot of important takeaways, especially for parents of young children. Is there a poster? Yes, there's a poster. All right, so. Well, that's that's kind of a mini poster. It's a postcard. We're gonna it's send a postcard, you a okay. We'll send it's a big version too, isn't there? Yes. Is there a yeah, yeah. And oh yeah, and you, on and our you can download it. It's on our, on our website. Download it, print yourself out a copy, post it on your refrigerator. Uh, we'll send you the, a, a really nice PDF version if you want to um, sure. include the, the uh, link to the podcast. And can I go back for one second? Because you did mention uh, very insightfully how hard it is to make any film, let alone a feature documentary about a scientific subject that most folks aren't familiar with a lot of the terminology or even the ideas. And I would like to say, Stephen Lawrence, uh, who's uh, my co-director on this project, Steve is a brilliant documentary filmmaker with such a wealth of knowledge and experience and contacts. And I really see the completion of the film and all the different hurdles that were required that we had unexpected things and you know just things like raising the money. Steve has really been integral to the film's 
ongoing production, post-production, completion, and success. And Steve, I'm just so grateful to you and delighted uh, that you came on board and we we made this film together as our little gift to the planet and to humanity. But well, thank you, thank you. That's that's very kind of you. And um, you know, as I said before, Andrew, it was Sarah's idea, and I think she was the probably the first person in the world to have the idea that there needs to be a documentary about the human microbiome and its importance to our health. And as I said before. You know, this is a this is a wake up call. This is about the destruction of our inner ecology. There's so many issues facing the planet now about sustainability, um, about environmental climate catastrophe, loss of animal species, um, sustainability. This is part. This film is on that spectrum of other issues that humanity is facing, but it is one that very few people know about. And I think that that is what we're trying to do here is to raise awareness about this inner ecology that uh, in the scientific and medical worlds, uh, it was invisible for for so long. And it's really only in the, in the past 10 to 15 years that it's become visible and now it's gaining, the research is gaining momentum. How, uh, everybody's busy. How long is the film? 82 minutes. Okay, perfect. Catchy. All right. Lots of animation, graphics. All right. One Yeah, in, it's, it's fun. In English. Now, how did you get consent, you know, from all the participants? Like the mic are there microbes in the film? Did they get credit too? You <laughs> know? Did. All the microbes gave their permission. All right. And no so the microbes were harmed in the creation of the film. Oh, well that's that's important. Ultimate. Now what about the is there an antagonist? In other words, is the big bad drug companies in there because they're the ones making antibiotics? Did they have anything to say about this or well that's a really great question. That's a filmmaker's kind of question to ask. And you know, you could perceive the film as is certainly as saying, do not misuse antibiotics do not overuse antibiotics. One of the statistics from the CDC, which is a notably conservative organization, they're not you know, making wild baseless predictions, so they're, they're evidence-based. The CDC estimates that a third to half of all antibiotic prescriptions in the United States are unnecessary. And what that means is that they're being prescribed to people who don't have a, a disease that will respond to antibiotics. So they're there's harm being done with no potential upside. So one of our great goals for the film is simply to reduce the number of unnecessary antibiotic prescriptions. Improving our diagnostics will help. Sometimes I personally called my GP up 20, I remember it was 20 years ago from the Everglades. I was super sick. I was camping with one of my best friends for her birthday, a birthday trip. And I said, please, will you just call in an antibiotic prescription for me? I feel sick. I feel terrible. And he, God bless him, Dr. Bernstein said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I, I can examine you. And if you do merit it, I'll give you a prescription, but I can't do that over the phone. But he was an outlier then. And we do understand from physicians that they're often pressured by patients. They, I want an antibiotic and, you know. <laughs> that it, is correct. And I, I want to ask about one other thing. There's another sort of whole consumer population of antibiotics 
and that's the uh, domestic animal world. Do you do you touch on that? You know, antibiotics for yes. cows and chickens, and that there's yes. I've read yes, that, we do. that there's a question of overuse in uh, that population. Is yep. that get addressed? Well, it is. It is addressed in the film. Um, it's a significant uh, part of the film where we look at antibiotic resistant bacteria, uh, and that uh, is a developing and frightening problem for the world. Uh, and it has to do with overuse of antibiotics, primarily in humans, but the use in animals is also a factor. Although in the United States, um, indiscriminate use of antibiotics in animals has been banned except for medical reasons when animals are sick. But that doesn't mean that that, uh, that rule is enforced. It's very, very difficult to enforce. So uh, our understanding is that it is not being enforced and it, there's there's no mechanism actually for for reducing the it's 70 to 80 percent of all antibiotics used in the United States are used to make animals fat faster. So it's a very high amount of the antibiotics in our country that are driving antibiotic resistant bacteria. Mm. That's because of use on the farm. But Steve, you put it very, very well, 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 we're we're having over twenty thousand deaths annually in the United States because of resistant bacteria, and it's uh, you know it's it's a growing problem where there are projections from the WHO that I think in uh, about twenty five years or so we're going to have a greater number of deaths from resistant bacteria than from cancer, and there's mm -hmm. the possibility of a uh, a resistant bacteria pandemic, something that Marty Blazer uh, calls uh, antibiotic winter, kind of like nuclear winter. So these yeah. are these are these are problems we have to take very very seriously, and that's why it's important uh, to develop targeted antibiotics that aren't broad spectrum and nuke everything to develop phages, which are another uh, uh, form of. Uh, antibiotic, although they're based on viruses, a lot of work being done on, on phages. Um, and there's an act that's in Congress now called the Pasteur Act, which is designed to provide the funds to accelerate development of new targeted antibiotics. And it's very important for people to be aware of this problem and to urge their legislators to support the Pasteur Act. Okay. Now, um, I want to get back to both of you and your areas of expertise as filmmakers, because it seems to me a little challenging to make a film about the microbiome, which isn't well known, just basically all the bacteria in your gut that nobody really wants to talk about and that you can't see except with a microscope. So the subject of your film is something effectively you can't see. And then no one wants to talk about. So as uh, filmmakers, how did you approach that challenge? Well, what, thank you so much for asking that because it gives us a, the opportunity to recognize our fantastic animation firm collaborator, Blue Spill. Um, it took us a while to find them. There was a lot of great animation companies and Lo and behold, they were in London, but we really got down to doing the animation during the pandemic. And so we 
at that point, nobody was meeting in person anywhere. So it wouldn't have mattered if they were in Chelsea as John's company was when they designed this poster, you know, right close by to us. And I think they deserve a tremendous, they, they really took uh, the concepts that Steve and I wanted to bring to life and they created magnificent and beautiful imagery that is every time we see the film with audiences, they ooh and ah over, you know, seeing this internal landscape in a way that hasn't been conceptualized before. And okay. Kind of like NASA. So you, you animated, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, all these colors you see on these NASA photos, uh, my brother's a professional astronomer and he told me that these are all, these are sure. all intuited, you know, they're, they, when you look out there, you don't see all the colors. They put the colors in. I mean, they're yes. all based on wavelengths and stuff I don't understand, that, but they uh, they kind of animate it for you so you can appreciate the, the differences. Well, we, we had to create the gut microbiome. And uh, to do that, we selected specific bacteria that were interesting looking and and had relevance to the film and and then the animation team took those microbes and and uh, animated them in different ways that viewers will see in the film there are different episodes that have different kinds of microbiome animations but it, it was creating the world visually and also sonically because we had to imagine what microbes sound like and and how they communicate with the immune system and what uh, what kind of sound effects or sound design will work best for that. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's an act of the imagination that is based on existing um, uh, scanning electron microscopy images. You know, they're, they're out there, but as you say, um, you know, there is not necessarily a specific color or color palette for the microbiome but I, I think what we came up with people can can use um in, in their own way now you mentioned earlier there's another hook to the film uh and that's a love story now is that a love story uh in between the microbiome uh, players or is that uh, is that on a human uh, level it's between, there are, there's a lot of different scientists and researchers and physicians in the film, but we really have a main character couple, and that's Dr. Martin Blazer and Dr. Gloria Dominguez-Bello. Both at, they both initially were at NYU when we were filming with them, and then now they're both at Rutgers in New Jersey. And they are both leading lights in the world of microbiome research. Marty tends to work more on like categorizing the problem with disrupting our microbes. Uh, Gloria is a little bit more on the, how could we restore? What are solutions to this? Gathering microbes from indigenous peoples in different parts of the world, looking at swabbing a woman's vagina in case she needs a C-section and the baby isn't gonna go through and get all the mm. good microbes from a vaginal birth. Is there a way to restore those for C-section babies that could lead to more positive health outcomes? So they they were just a, they were and are a dream to work with. They're unusually articulate communicators, which you know to be a great scientist doesn't mean you have to be a great communicator. They really don't necessarily have to do anything with each other. But Marty and Gloria 
are brilliant communicators and it's been our honor to work with them. I, I think, Andrew, the, the idea of love permeates the film. It's not only the love uh, be, between Marty and Gloria, but their love for humanity, which drives them to be the researchers and the activists that they are about the microbiome uh, problem. And uh, it's it, parenthood and family and love also ripple through the whole film. Uh, viewers will have to see, but there are other subjects in the film, other scientists and doctors and um, who are parents. And, uh, and there are several children involved who are getting treatment, experimental treatments, and in some cases, uh, particip participating in a clinical trial uh, in the film. So really this, this, this film, one of the things that it does is it really shines a spotlight on the heart of science. And, and the heart of medicine, where doctors and scientists really put their heart into their work in the interest of humanity. And um, you know, scientists by and large in, in our society um, uh, aren't revered the way they, they should be. And one of our goals was to humanize them, see them in their full dimension um, as individuals, as parents, um, uh, as activists, but also as the professionals that they are trying to make discoveries, unravel and treat very vexing problems. And in, in, in the context of the film, the biggest problem is the question of how we're going to preserve our microbiome and how we're going to restore what's been lost. Because as you said early in our discussion, usually the microbiome bounces back after antibiotic treatment, but not always. And when it doesn't, illness can ensue, and then what? Okay, all right, so we're just about ready to wrap up. That was that was a fantastic summary, and it sounds like popcorn is probably indicated for this film. Mm -hmm. And uh, anything else you guys would like to add before we close? We love hearing from people on our social channels. We the Invisible Extinction on Facebook, and um, we'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the film, what things resonated for you, what things you want more information about. We we, we really welcome that. The, the okay. film is also available for educational screenings everywhere. So we we encourage people uh, in their schools, their institutions, their hospitals. To, uh, to sign up to screen the film. We wanted to get out there and to serve an educational purpose. Our website is theinvisibleextinction.com. Maybe we can get it for Grand Rounds. Sounds like a good <laughs> film for, uh, for doctors. All right, well, Sarah Schenk and Stephen Lawrence, thank you very much for joining me on The Art of Medicine. Thank you, Andrew. Can I ask Thanks, you a couple Andrew. All right, so we have a special request for some questions. All right, go ahead. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Well, since you're a neurologist, you know, one of the most exciting areas of microbiome research is, you know, the gut-brain connection. And, you know, just, again, most, a lot of people have heard how, oh, you know, our emotions influence how we feel in our guts and what's going on in our guts can feel, can have an effect on 
are we depressed? Are we anxious? Are, you know, aside from specific neurological conditions. And I would love to hear from you if you have any particular insights or interests in that that idea of the gut brain connection and as the role of microbes in our, you know. Yes. Well, I'll preface my comments by saying that I don't know much about it. Uh, but I'm curious about it, which is actually one of the reasons why you guys are here today, because uh, it is a, a hot topic and something I've been reading about. And I think it's one of these topics that has uh, drawn in serious scientists <laughs> and then maybe some people kind of on the fringes who just sort of see this as uh, some exciting kind of uh, potentially uh something that could be exaggerated. So I'm not too sure. I think that, uh, you know, there's no question. I think everybody agrees that chocolate affects the mind, right? Ice cream affects the <laughs> mind, you know, that there is. And of course, the vagus nerve goes down to the gut and, it, and it's a two-way street, the vagus nerve, right? It sends signals up and signals go down. So yes, we are tied to to our guts for for sure. And if you're hungry, I know you know if I haven't eaten all day, I can be really irritable. And uh, why is that? I mean, I don't think you know nobody really knows the pathophysiology of what's going on there. But it can be cured with like you know a hamburger. So there is definitely a gut brain connection. And I think there's going to be a lot of PhD work you know, in this, in this direction. And, you know, it's sort of the exciting part is, well, can we, well, we already are, we are manipulating it, but rather blindly. So could we manipulate it more intentionally, you know, in the treatment of uh, mental illness, you know, or just a sour mood, you know, is there some sort of way to approach this more, uh, academically uh, as we learn more? So I think your, your film will generate some some buzz, you know, and maybe some more research dollars so that uh, we can uh, pick up on this. We hope for more research dollars for all these different fantastic scientists and researchers doing the work. Can I say one more thing on that specific front? Absolutely. Uh, one of the startling insights from working on the film that we uh, learned was that a lot of people have heard of serotonin, like serotonin is a happy chemical. Uh, it's, you know, serotonin is what's happening in our brain that often makes people feel calmer or more upbeat. And 80% of serotonin is produced in our guts. It's coming from our stomach. Our, our, our microbes are synthesizing that. So if things are going awry with your microbes in your gut, it, it makes absolute sense to me intuitively that it's going to really affect your mood. And so that's, for, for me, I hope, I'm very excited to see the, all the different people doing research on that, what their findings show. What's really, one of the things that's most critical is what's happening in childhood between our gut microbes and our immune system. And this is very much a focus of Marty and Gloria's work and it's something that, that's prominent in the film, is that a, a child needs a, a healthy, robust diverse microbiome to develop a healthy immune system. And the, the overuse of antibiotics in childhood is something that's really new uh, for humanity. Um, in, in the film, Marty talks about how by uh, the age of three, most kids have had three rounds of antibiotics. By the age of 10, 10 rounds. By 20, 20 rounds. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I, I didn't grow up exposed to antibiotics like that. And I don't think you did either. And, and so part of the message of the film is really for parents to be aware of the risks of antibiotic use in childhood and even prenatally as well. And to, um, you know, work with their doctors to understand, as Sarah put it so eloquently before, when antibiotics are really necessary and when they're not. Yes, and discuss that with your doctors, please. <laughs> well, before we close, I'd like to give another thanks to our sponsor, locumstory.com, a resource where providers can get real unbiased answers about locum tenens. Darren, Steve, I can't wait to see the film. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew. Pleasure talking. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, it was fun. This program is hosted, edited, and produced by Andrew Wilner, MD, FACP, FAAN. Guests receive no financial compensation for their appearance on the art of medicine. Andrew Wilner, MD, is Associate Professor of Neurology at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center, Memphis, Tennessee. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this program belong solely to Dr. Wilner and his guests and not necessarily to their employers, organizations, or other group or individual. While this program intends to be informative, it is meant for entertainment purposes only. The Art of Medicine does not offer professional financial, legal, or medical advice. Dr. Wilner and his guests assume no responsibility or liability for any damages, financial or otherwise, that arise in connection with consuming this program's content. Thanks for watching. For more episodes of The Art of Medicine, please subscribe. www.andrewwilner.com <laughs>